Hello, I'm Lauren Reinhertz. And I'm Courtney Bird, and welcome to Aspire to Ascend by Ascend Source, where we are chatting openly with industry leaders from SAP, partners, and customers to understand how innovation within SAP is changing the game for businesses across the globe. Each episode features a variety of topics with our guests, from their journey within the ecosystem, hearing their personal passion statements, and the lessons they've learned along the way. SAP, this is our world. We're just giving it a voice. Hello, welcome. Today we are joined by Sarah Sankey, the head of alliances for the Northeast Market Unit at SAP. She is based uh, at SAP headquarters in Newtown Square, Pennsylvania. She grew up outside of Philadelphia and now resides in New Jersey with her husband, Harry, and their 14-month-old son, Harry V. I love that, Sarah. Welcome. Thanks so much for being here with us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, so excited to have you. I think it was important um, to us at Ascend Source to, as we launched this uh, this podcast, to really have people that that support us um, and that can be a part of this journey with us. And you certainly, as as a head of alliances in the East, have been a true advocate for Ascend Source and and somebody that uh, has now definitely become a friend. So I'm, I'm excited to have you here. So let's uh, let's get into it. Sarah, ascend your resume. <laughs> so um, I started at SAP in 2010 in a marketing role uh, doing demand generation. Uh, actually, I was an end user of our internal deployment of ERP and, and CRM, um, our customer relationship management system. So um, after doing that for about a year and a half, building off that experience of being an end user, I then pivoted to a role in pre-sales as a solution engineer. Uh, dem- demonstrating the same solutions to potential customers, uh, so it you know it really helped to be able to say I you know I sat on your side mm-hmm. of the table at one point as an end user, um, and I did that all in the context of lead to cash to start. Um, I then started to expand my solution knowledge across the entire SAP portfolio and started to work more on deal strategy, and I transitioned into a role um, called the customer solution director. Um, a CSD I, is responsible for everything from um, helping the sales team engage uh, with a customer to managing their territory to deal strategy and execution and solution architecting. Um, within that role, I actually engaged a lot with partners, um, typically on a deal by deal basis, but I really wanted to get closer to the overall partner ecosystem and try to drive better alignment within the East Market Unit as a whole. And that's when I took the role of the head of alliances in this past January. Um, and the purpose of that role is really to, to ensure partner alignment with our sales teams um, and ultimately drive incremental pipeline and revenue in the East. Uh, so, so just real quick, when we look at your experience and you talked about that brief um, period of your of your career where you were a CSD and now being the head of alliances Mm -hmm. do you feel like those two roles work in tandem hand hand in hand uh to drive you know partner engagement and customer strategy or do you think they're very separate one being more technical and one being more um focused on on building the ecosystem or building the channel within your market unit I think they are very complimentary um, I'm using, I'm visualizing a Venn diagram right now, <laughs> if you can imagine, right? There's some overlap. Right. Um, I think why I've been 
um, successful to within the you know nine months I've been in the role is I understand the deal strategy and then how um, there's multiple pieces of that puzzle and partners are one very instrumental piece of that puzzle. Uh, so I think building off of the CSD experiencing and knowing where they fit into the SAP side of the, the cycle um, has really helped with how I interact with partners. Yeah. Um, I think also having a solution background um, helps me understand how they, the partner truly differentiates themselves, right? So if, for example, a partner brings some unique intellectual property on top of one of our solutions, understanding what that really means in the context of a deal and how it can be a wedge on top of what we bring to the table has been helpful. Mm-hmm, for sure. So Sarah, when you look at your role today and marry that back to your experiences within the ind- within the industry, how do you evaluate partners from a technical standpoint as well as a cultural standpoint for individual opportunities? Okay. Uh, so I think in order to talk about how I evaluate partners, uh, Maybe I should start with sort of the the why. Sure. You know, why are we even partnering, and why uh, I believe SAP must always be thinking about and talking with our partners in any sales opportunity. Um, and then I can maybe go into the the how. Um, as I mentioned, I'm always thinking in terms of solution selling with my pre sales background, and I always think it's important to keep in mind that the solution for a customer is not always just technology. Um, it's not just software licenses, right? SAP technology is a piece of that puzzle. Um, you know, it's meant to deliver capabilities that make it easier for our customers to do business. But, you know, the full solution that a customer needs goes far beyond that, right? It's, it's things that include everything from the deployment of the technology to the training, the change management, to maybe it's even product innovation on their side, um, ongoing support, you know, really at the end of the day, it's about painting that full vision and it's our job to make the customer's life easier to deliver on that vision. And and I stress the word our, um, because I think it's a collective thing. Mm -hmm. It's not just SAP's job, it's our job and a partnership. Um, you know, I think when you look at the partner ecosystem, it's, it's vast and it's diverse and there's a lot of different things a customer has to consider, whether it's implementation services, hardware, infrastructure, you know, you name it. Um, why should a customer have to be responsible to piece all that together, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I think we should be empathetic to that um, and remember that they have jobs to do and companies to run. Um, most of them are not just doing this as their day job, right? right. Um, and I think a true partnership provides that connective tissue for the customer, it's already been thought through. Right. We can deliver to uh, together the customer's full vision. Um, so I think keeping that in mind, your question was, uh, how do I evaluate partners to work within an opportunity? And I think it's, it's three things. Um, first, I need them to have that same point of view, that empathetic point of view, um, that it always has to be about the customer. That is the number one goal. Mm-hmm. Um, number two, I look for a collaborative partner, a partner that's willing to be flexible on um, how the partnership's going to look for this customer. You know, it might be, it might play out one way um, where we sell the licenses and you implement it, um, but it's not always going to be that black and white. Um, in, in in some cases, 
we might even be competing in some areas. In other cases, there might be three partners, five partners. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just depends on what the customer needs. And then I would say number three um, would be a partner who is willing to think outside of the box. Um, A lot of the problems that our customers are trying to solve are complex. Um, And it's our job to figure out how to do that in the simplest way. And I look for partners that want to deliver on the easiest path to do so. Um, and if that means you know, less billable hours because a software solution is the right way to get to the, the solution, or if it means you know, more upfront scoping that delays the deal, you know, whatever's right. the right path, um, that's, that's the way to go. So it's really those, those three things. So, so when we talk about being out of the box or um, easy to work with, flexible, and then really looking at the solution that you're trying to, to put in front of a customer not, customer, not just technology, I think it leads to the, the old approach of like rinse and repeat, that that might not work. Mm-hmm. Sure. So y- you use the term rinse and repeat, and um, I think... W- if I were to give advice to a partner, it would be um, if you're going to rinse and repeat, change your outfit, <laughs> which sounds so silly. But I mean, basically what I mean is, you know, if you're going to use the same content or the same presentations or the same stories because they work, right? Um, and it's, you know, for the sake of scale, that's awesome. But make sure that you're presenting it in a way that is unique to the customer. Um, I mean, something as simple as, using a customer's logo or their lingo, right? Maybe they call something a warehouse and not a distribution center. Like getting those nuances down um, so that it is specific to them is is something I'm passionate about. Yeah, I know, I know we talked a little bit in the past about, you know, how creative you are as an individual and how you really tried to bring that over into – um, into your engagements and how you're really trying to enhance the customer's experience by by being creative yet empathetic to their business pains and problems at the same time because it is a it is a challenge to to not um, want something to be repeatable when it works when mm-hmm. it's successful how do you take what you did at one customer and put it in front of a similar customer and it work for them as well, right? But at the same time, I think we're missing that personal connection when we just think everything is, again, rinse and repeat. Uh, so I just didn't know if you wanted to to share that story or... Sure. Um, so I think one of the reasons I was successful in pre-sales was um, my ability to use like that creative side of me. Like I, I love to paint. I love to draw, I love to sketch. Um, but to be able to use that within the context of my job, um, I always thought it had to be one or the other. Like I was at this mm-hmm. pivot point in my life where I was business school or art school, and my parents were great. They would, they, they, would, <laughs> they would support me either way, but there was one choice that probably had more opportunities than another. Um, so that I did end up going the business school route, and I always thought, okay, I'll keep, I'll keep this art and this creative side of me as uh, an outlet, mm-hmm. um, a stress reliever. But it didn't have to be that way. They're not so mutually exclusive. And I think one of the reasons I've, I've been successful in pre-sales and talking to customers um, is is intertwining them. Um, so, and I think intertwining them in, an, in a way to take something that is complicated and make it simple. 
um, I, like, I love those moments when you explain something that is originally really hard for someone to understand and they, the light bulb goes on and they go, oh, now I get it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and trying to explain SAP to a business person who maybe has never heard of SAP, mm-hmm. um, isn't technical and is really busy, it's really hard. Yeah. Um, and so the story that you're mentioning, I, I spent a lot of time uh, working with net new potential customers, customers that had zero SAP footprint. Um, a lot of them were going through you know, either ERP replacements or business transformations. And um, the example you were talking about, I think, points to my, my earlier point of empathy um, and trying to make sure you're speaking in the customer's language. And um, the customer, I don't think I can use the name, but they were a fast-growing yogurt and dairy company. Um, who were they were really passionate about their ingredients being all natural and they had this marketing campaign that was uh, a hashtag hashtag no bad stuff mm-hmm. right so no no bad ingredients all all natural and I looked at that and I thought you know that's very similar to our message right I mean we when, when it comes to how we think our customers should run their business it should be hashtag no bad stuff, right? It should be keeping the complexity away from the customer. Um, it should be about getting to the good stuff. So that was the hashtag that we created that worked very well with theirs. So it was hashtag get to the good stuff. Um, so get to the good stuff, meaning for a CFO, it might be, you know, show me my cash flow at a single point in time whenever I need it. Mm-hmm. Or hashtag get to the good stuff for a person on the shop floor might be tell me which production machine is going to go down before it does so I don't have to stop production I can fix it right um so as we were demonstrating it was like two days of demos uh we would throw up the hashtag hashtag get to the good stuff um whether we did it visually with some really cool creative uh content that we produced or we would just say it verbally and by the end of the demonstrations the customer was saying hashtag get to the good stuff I mean that's when you know it's working and you know you're speaking their language mm-hmm. and they were getting it they saw that it wasn't necessarily about the the features and functions of the software but it was about the idea that SAP could help them get to what they needed to do mm-hmm. that's awesome I love that analogy um, and and being able to be creative like that in front of a customer I think that really kind of sets you apart too if you're in a competitive cycle um, so I do want to pivot a little bit. Uh, you were talking about empathy and, and how partners really need to be empathetic to the customer. I want to shift kind of, you know, in your new role, you are marrying essentially, you know, partners with account executives at a deal level. So talk to us a little bit about, you know, if you could tell partners one thing when engaging with SAP, you know, mm-hmm. Courtney and I, we talk a lot to to our partners about you can't just go to SAP with your hands out. You know, that's not a reciprocal model that no one's going to resonate with, you know, where's my deal? Where's my deal? So talk to me about how partners can can engage the right way with SAP. Yeah. Um, it's funny when you say like with your hands out. I was talking to a partner um, recently who I think had a an interesting spin on this, and it, it's I think somewhat spot on. He said a true SAP partner should come to the door kicking with their feet because their hands are full of gifts. <laughs> and I'm not saying that you need to show up at like an account executive's door with your hands full of physical gifts, but I think to some degree you have to understand that it's a give and a take. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and, I, and it's for both sides too. I think our sales teams also have to realize that this is a true partnership and it's not one-sided. Um, but I think a, a true SAP partner can approach the sales team with something to offer. Mm-hmm. Um, and that something to offer is the value that they bring. And the value that they bring is twofold. It's going to be the value they bring to the the sales team, the SAP sales team. How can you help us win and help us win faster? Mm-hmm. Um, and then how can you help the customer get to that yep. end goal? Probably the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's often forgotten, right? So, so we constantly talk about, you know, if you say you do everything, SAP is going to call you for nothing, mm-hmm. right? So why don't you have focus? And by doing that, I think you're you're driving value to that AE because ultimately what people forget is that a real successful AE is somebody who sells software year over year into a named account, Mm -hmm. right? If there's not adoption, they're not buying more. So if you can't do what you do well, they're not going to buy any more software. Right. So there's that piece. And then there's, you know, the, the softer piece of, building true relationships with people and valuable relationships that that continue for years to come as people shift in their roles. And as we all know, in this industry, that happens pretty frequently. <laughs> so, And I, I'd say know your elevator pitch and then, and, and then know that it doesn't sound like anybody else's. So to your point, you know, what do you do that's unique? And then also know your audience. Like if you're going to go talk to – an industry account executive who covers dormant net new for life sciences, just as an example, you know, something to the, the effect of, hey, we're really great at working with customers in the two to five billion dollar range who have unique requirements around, you know, process manufacturing, chemicals, pharmaceuticals, because we have unique IP on your SAP solutions that no one else can match around batch management. Like that is specific. I'm just, you know, giving an example, mm-hmm. but to me, you have to know who it's going to be a little bit different depending on who you're talking to, but you got to find those little nuggets that make you unique as a partner. So that when you're approaching someone, you know what they need to hear to want to work with you and bring you to their customer. Absolutely. Yep. Um, so Sarah, I want to kind of switch gears to, to the personal side. We joke that we have a lot in common from a personal perspective and and you're like my soul doppelganger I don't know we're how living that, mirror lives we are very far <laughs> apart but mirror lives um so Sarah had a son he's 14 months old um my son's just a few months behind so that was kind of one of the first things that uh we bonded over so talk to me a little bit how how it's been being a new mom in a new role um you're working remotely part-time like how crazy is it it's crazy um and I only have it's um, it's crazy, and I only have one. So, Courtney, God bless you. <laughs> Thank um, you. But it's been really good. I think this role right now has given me some, the word balance, some balance in terms of not as much on-the-road travel, so I have more nights at home, but mm-hmm. I definitely spend more time in our SAP offices, um, and it's it's just that, that part's worked out really well. How I, do you say focused that to me has been a huge struggle because when I'm working I'm thinking about my son when I'm with my son I'm thinking all the things I should be working on like yeah is that a challenge (laughs) or am I the only one no it definitely (laughs) is and I I actually I work from home and well I work from home half the week and then I'm in the offices the others and my husband stays at home with our son Mm -hmm. and I get extreme FOMO 
<laughs> fear of missing out when I, you know, I know they're in the other room playing or I, I look outside of my office window and I see them, you know, on the swing set and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is, it is hard. I think um, having a separate space, uh, whether that is in your home office or leaving and going mm-hmm. to the office um, helps. Um, and then in terms of like staying focused on my work, Um, and not getting distracted I think when you're passionate about what you're doing it helps a ton Mm -hmm. and it's almost like it flips the switch in terms of now I have to rebalance and and start focusing more on at home Um, when I started the new role there was it was like trying to get the swing of things and there's some things about it that might feel like a little administrative or or tactical that um, I could find myself drifting from, mm-hmm. but the minute I pivot and start talking about solution strategy or deal strategy, like all the things you heard me get excited about earlier, um, that's where I get really focused and I laser in cause that's where your passion is. So I think, um, it's just about finding and working on those type of things to keep me focused. Mm-hmm. And then when I am home, um, I put my phone away um oh my gosh that's mm-hmm. hard to do it's a foreign concept with, to me. with with the exception of knowing if there's something I know something pressing is going on at work and someone's going to need to contact me like you know I will keep it close and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff um I also try to have like certain times of the night where I'll check my email so mm-hmm. it it makes me less stressed if I know I'm not missing something same when I'm on vacation so rather than saying okay I'm signing off for vacation right. Um, I'm not going to check my email for seven days. That doesn't work. Um, so just allowing myself to check in mm-hmm. and then check out. Yeah, I I struggle. Well, if you if you know me, you know that I struggle with uh, focus in general. But um, I I find that the word balance is is funny to me because I have to dedicate a hundred percent of myself to one thing in order to really feel like I gave any value to the subject, right? Mm -hmm. So I had to get the office outside of the house because I couldn't do my job at 100% when I wanted to be 50% mom, Mm -hmm. 50% job. So when I go home, I talk to Lauren every day on the way home, Mm -hmm. and and then I'm like, I'm here, and I shut that off Mm -hmm. for a few hours, and I'm 100% mom mode present yeah yeah and and there yep and then things start to wrap up and boom I go back into work mode yep and and it's it's become a routine but it's become a healthy routine one where everybody I feel gets the the best of Mm -hmm. me well I think in our industry and other industries too but where we have the flexibility um to kind of work outside of just traditional work hours can really help with that um but it also makes it challenging because yeah. if you have a nine to five and you and you you're clocking in, clocking out, right? And you're not expected, or there's there's no expectations by your stakeholders, whoever they are, whether your customers or people internal, to be there after five o'clock. It's easier. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that comes with other challenges too. Yeah. But I think it's about setting the right expectations for yourself, setting the right expectations with the people that you work for and work with that, Hey, this is the role that I signed up for. This is the expectation of my work life balance, et cetera. I mean, there's going to be roles. I mean, sales roles here at SAP, you're, you, you gotta be accessible. Right. Yeah. And, um, and certain times of the quarter, you gotta be accessible. Um, and then there's other roles that 
give a little bit more leeway, you know, and I think I, I found a role right now that works for me because of, you know, having a, a young child at home where I don't have to always be accessible um, unless I know something is going on. But that might not be the role that I have in a, a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And I just got to figure that out. I find it frustrating. And I think you bring up a really good point about there's there's some positives and negatives to having a flexible, uh, you know, r- role. And I get frustrated when people just assume it's okay to call past 6 p.m. just because it's convenient for them. And I'm trying to, you know, as Courtney said, be 100% focused during the work day and try to be, you know, 100% focused, you know, being home with my family. And I think if, if there is an emergency, if something's really hot, you know, we've got to stay focused, you know, of course I will be there. But just because you know, said person is on their way home and driving doesn't mean that I have to be accessible 100% of the time. And so I've been trying and I encourage Courtney and our team to be the same way. Like you have to set those boundaries, you know, if it's, if it's an emergency and it's important, of course, but that, that can't be the norm because we're all going to go crazy. Yep. Yeah. I think, I think one of my challenges is, is, is the opposite, right? Like 90% of the time I want to be accessible because I'm always looking for, the next opportunity to better the business, right? And, and if you're in a specific role, I think you have this feeling pulling at you. Like if I'm not there, if I'm not available, am I going to miss this opportunity or am I going to be perceived differently? And I, I think, and I think you're great at this, you know, setting the expectation up front and, and saying, just because I'm not available doesn't mean I won't get to it later tonight. Mm-hmm. Or, hey, you're on your way home from the airport. You want to talk to us. It's 8 p.m. I'm available at 1030. Lauren knows I've said that. Mm-hmm. And they're like, 1030 p.m.? I'm like, well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> That's when I go back to work. Yeah, kids are in bed. Right? <laughs> so I, I think just expectation setting is something that, as a woman in this industry, I have really had challenges with. Because I just want, if, you, if you're calling me, I want to execute. I want to be there. Right. Um, but then I wasn't really executing or being there for the things that are the reasons I work every day. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so I think that balance is hard. And I think the more your career advances and the roles that you go, you know, down or the path that you go down within your role within the company, as you're growing, it becomes even more challenging. Because we just want to stay top of mind, right? Well, I think well, there's a, there's a cost to everything, right? You feel like you're missing out on an opportunity, but there's going to be a cost if you capitalize on that opportunity, right? Um, you're going to be missing out on something else in, in turn. The the idea with balance is like if you're a woman and you're trying to find balance, I, I think the fact that you're even trying means you're on a good path right it's mm-hmm. I think things fall apart when you're not being cognizant of it and if we're all just trying to be cognizant of it I mean it's never going to be perfect it's never going to be like the scale is set and like I'm 50 50 here and here but if you're paying attention and you feel like you're, you know one way is tipping the other you can kind of reset a little bit and I just feel like as long as you're you're paying attention to it then mm-hmm. you're in a, you're in a good place and we need to be a little bit easier on ourselves <laughs> agreed we we have that conversation quite often Actually, yeah, I don't know who it was. I think it was probably in another podcast I listened to. But, you know, the, this person said there is no such thing as work life balance. Sometimes your family needs more and your life needs more. Mm-hmm. Sometimes work needs more. And 
you're never 50 50 it's 60 40 one Mm -hmm. week it's 90 10 another week and and having a support system you know whether it be personally through you know friends and family um or professionally with coworkers and colleagues you know someone that's there that can you know if if there's something going on in my personal life and i i can't make calls you know knowing that i have a team that can pick up some of the slack um is really important and i it's something that i've had to be better about uh asking for help mm-hmm. that's hard for me I agree <laughs> <laughs> same problem <laughs> so <laughs> I was gonna say uh, with four kids um, it's just become like a standard thing that comes out <laughs> of you ask somebody help. <laughs> help me just somebody anybody oh my God. anybody if anybody can help me yeah <laughs> we can alternate them you can have this one tonight that one tomorrow <laughs> Um, no, it's, it's, it's true. It's, it's a constant struggle, but to your point, I think if you're acknowledging that you're trying to be better, um, that's the starting point. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and so I just find it interesting how people, you know, really, really evaluate themselves when they have uh, a role that allows them to be remote. I remember when I started as a solution engineer, um, and I was living by myself, um, in Philadelphia. And when I was prepping for demos, I typically would just work remotely because I could get the most done, Mm -hmm. you know, with the silence and not in an office and everything. Um, But then I found that I was lacking a lot of human interaction. I was going (laughs) to like the Whole Foods just to like talk to the cashier. Like it was getting to that point, you know. (laughs) So it was like, all right, I got to figure this out. There needs to be some level of balance. Um, You know, although I might not feel as productive when I go in the office, I think there's other things that I'm benefiting from that Mm -hmm. ultimately make me happier, make me healthier, all those kind of things. And there's other people that will say, I'm good. I don't need human interaction. And that works for that. <laughs> right. Know, just, it's finding what works for you. And I, I need people around me. <laughs> yeah. I enjoy it. I, I miss it being in a more remote setting, like just the, the creativity and energy that you can get from a team and, and being able to bounce ideas off of people, I think to me is really important and really fuels, you know, new ideas. And Courtney and I literally just like, sit on the phone for four hours and just work out loud half the time because I crave that energy and being able to feed off of people around you. But then at the same time, when it's something important and you need to go heads down, it's nice to be alone. I don't know what you're talking about. I've become completely dependent (laughs) on the four hour call sessions. Um, But, but you bring up a, a point about the creativity. And so I think, a question I want to ask you, knowing that you're a very creative person and we've had chats in the past about things that you're personally passionate about, can you share how you take some of those qualities and have them flow into your professional life? So I mentioned the the example earlier with like just thinking outside the box with the hashtag, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm a visual person. Um, I've always been really passionate about creating visually so whether that's like painting or drawing or sketching um so whenever I have an idea about maybe how to attack a project or a program or whatever it is I'm always putting pen to paper um 
or mouse to PowerPoint, whatever you want to call it. Right. Um, And that's really helped me. So I think it's that creative visual nature of me that when I start to formulate an idea, I'm able to translate it to something that someone can consume visually to understand what I'm trying to articulate. Mm -hmm. Um, No, you're great at that. I mean, we come to you with everything we build first. It's like if it meets the Sarah expectation – then we might we might be on to something, yeah. and it's because it's it's a it's a you're very thorough, you're very um, process oriented with your thoughts, but yet you're very creative, and you don't often find people that can be both. Typically, you have one side of the brain working or the other, mm-hmm. right? My question is, do you think that the way we're selling, or the way technology companies, SAP included, have to go to market, has changed? because of the ease of consumption or the ability to put your hands on any solution or technology at any time? So I think the scales are tipping. So I think there's going to be certain buying situations where a buyer should be able to just go and educate themselves with, you know, digitally through different channels about what they want to buy software-wise and then just go buy it, right? And for some of those standard offerings that don't really have a lot of differentiation necessarily and the more commoditized stuff I think that makes sense I do think that in terms of someone going through like a a true business transformation enterprise transformation where there's a lot of moving pieces to Mm -hmm. the puzzle the face-to-face the holding hands throughout the process the people working with people thing needs to stay. Um, we can't just, you know, send a customer who wants to transform their business to, you know, consume a, a digital demo and think that they're going to be, they're going to be good. Right. Right. Um, but I think if for those certain sales cycles, whether it's a specific solution or um, a specific technology where it makes sense, a customer should be able to just go learn about it, see it, buy it, do it. That, I mean, that's the world we live in, right? We're an instant gratification type society. So mm-hmm. there's we have to meet those expectations when they're there. Yeah, I agree. Thank you again so much for, for joining us. Um, so, Sarah, what does digital transformation mean to you? So it is a buzzword for sure. Um, I would say for me it means a, a business that is Going through a digital transformation is one that is looking to use the latest technology to remove all the complexity and cost to operating their business so that they can focus on serving their customers and creating new offerings. That, like, full stop, it's it's about, it's not about cloud, it's not just about um, all those other buzzwords, mm-hmm. right? It's it's about how do I take something that's built up as complex over the over time it's costing me a lot of money, and I can't innovate. I can't uh, serve my customers, and I can't meet their expectations in this instant gratification type of a world. Um, and how can I leverage the latest technology to help me do that? I love it. Great answer. Great answer. All right, so we're going to end um, on a fun note. Uh Everyone in this ecosystem jokes about the Saponese and <laughs> the acronyms. Um, if I'm ever on a phone call in public, I think people probably think I'm crazy because it's just acronym after acronym. So 20 seconds on the clock. See how many acronyms you can name. 
On your mark, get set, go. Okay. Uh, APO, PPC, CRM, DSC, EIM, FSCM, GRC, HCM, uh, MRS, uh, SCM, uh, CPQ, OSS, uh, LMS. Uh, uh, done. Uh, I was trying to go in alphabetical order, <laughs> and then I hit J. You name some that I have not heard of. So thirteen is the count I have. We'll, we'll do are you the official are you gonna count. Fact, are you going to fact check after and just make sure they're official acronyms too? Maybe, <laughs> it, maybe that, that could be like our <laughs> podcast wrap up. Yeah. That was the alphabet winner. <laughs> it was the season one winner. I, I will tell you, I I pride myself on knowing quite a few of them. <laughs> funny funny story on the acronyms. Cut it if you want to. But funny story on the acronym, Sarah. Um, my first meeting ever, right? I didn't even know what SAP was. Let al- I li- literally thought it was a disc you put in <laughs> one of those clunky computers at your office and it like, download now, and you hit yes. And then, pa-da. Uh, it was, I was that green. Um, my first, very, very first meeting, I went with a, um, an analytics line of business AE to to a customer in Atlanta and he was like Courtney I don't want you to say anything I just want you to listen and take notes and I was like okay so I sat down and we we had this meeting and I'm listening to the customer and I'm listening to him and we get back in the car and he's like so ask me anything and I was like all right what does B I B W B O B J F I C O uh, like and I went through this list. I think there was like thirty-seven that acronym said in 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 one uh, one official meeting, and I literally didn't understand a word. <laughs> That's how our customers feel. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so I I remember I would um, we would start it as a game, like in, in demos, where it was like, okay, every time one of us says an acronym and doesn't define what it is like the customer wins something right um you know we're gonna give gift cards or whatever it is if you can hold us accountable for it it's it's tough um and it goes back to you know speaking in their language Mm -hmm. and not our own yeah well thank you sarah so much for joining us uh it's been it's been fun having a a great conversation with you so thank you for your time thank you guys thanks